What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast <laughs> with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. And all of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code, think on high quality protein powders and everything else you can think of. Um, go over to evalbloodanalysis.com. Get your lab work done by Dave if you're in the UK. Supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. And you can go to Strom Sports Nutrition and get a lot of great health stacks in the UK, especially if you're running special supplements. There's all sorts of different things you could especially use then. How do you like that, Dave? Special supplements. Special supplements and stuff. Maybe that's the new name of the show. How about sellout and stuff? Dave, you got us you got us in trouble here. All right. Oh, why is you it dug my us into fault? a hole? Because every time I put out a show with you, they don't like it. The the, the powers that be they hear your voice and they're instantly, they know who you are and they're instantly like, nope, no monetization for you. We will not post, we will not bump this in the algorithm. That said, even though the last one didn't get monetized, the show did really good. We had a bunch of follow-up questions. We are going to try to keep this one cleaner, get back in the higher powers, good graces. Um, and we do have some listener questions. But to start out, I had an idea for a very YouTube friendly topic. And I think this one is going to be fun. I wanted Dave to give us a workout that everybody can go home and try and then come back and tell us how it went. Because we, we talked about biceps in the past. You did tell us a, just one little tip. And when you gave us that little tip, everybody was like, holy crap, that was fantastic. Like I really got a lot out of that. And it was about when you get to the top, don't just squeeze the muscle, but continue trying to press, press, press through. Continue trying to move the arm, even though it won't move. A lot of people got a lot out of that. So I want to hear a whole arm workout from you today. All right. So first thing, I suppose I'm a big fan of low volume but high frequency. So I like training not a huge number of reps and sets in a workout. And the simple reason is I get bored. Um, but I prefer to do it more often. So I'll do a body part twice a week. So that was my standard approach. So in that, the volume for, for buys and tries was relatively low in that biceps would probably only be a total of 10 sets. Okay. And, and triceps might be 12, maybe 14 at a push. But they'd get hit twice a week. So for bicep, I would usually pick an isolation movement as an initial compound movement. Um, a lot of people, the thing is with biceps, I want to just work the bicep. So if I'm just working the bicep, the only thing that should be moving is my forearm. Okay. My, my wrist shouldn't be moving because if I've got any wrist activation, that's putting load into my forearm and away from my bicep. Yeah. So the, the bicep works through the hinge of the elbow and moves the lever of the forearm, and that is it. That's all it does. Yeah. So I would start very often with either a single-arm preacher dumbbell curl, and that way I'd sit very deep in the pads so that there was no coming over the top, no, you know, it was, it was all arm. Yeah. Uh, or I'd start with another favorite of mine for a very long time was an alter-seated alternate dumbbell curl, but I did that very strictly. Um, Would you get a any, full stretch on that that preacher? Yes, I'd make sure. I, if I didn't tense my tricep at the bottom, it wasn't a full rep. 
Dang. So you're starting out with a, I don't start things with a big stretch. I don't like to, mm-hmm. I like to get warmed up before I get into any kind of stretches, but, but you're going out the warm. gate. I do warm up because I'll start with say a 10 pound or a, a 15 okay. pound dumbbell. Um, okay. And I do 12, 15 reps, but they are controlled. Yeah. So it's a nice tempo. It's probably a two, two. Okay. Um, so it's a relatively, it's not a super slow rep. It's not like TUT territory, which would be a five, five, but it's a controlled slow rep, full range. Um, most people find when they initially start doing this, it's quite painful at the bottom of the rep and they'll start finding they'll probably get some, some tenderness in the forearm. That's a very obvious sign that you, your, your range of motion and your flexibility in your bicep is poor. Um, and what's happening when it gets towards the bottom, instead of the bicep stretching, the tendon is actually pulling into the forearm and trying to stretch the forearm. So a very obvious single that your bicep muscular health is shit anyway, and you really need to sort of improve that with some some stretching and some release work. Um, and it also shows a little bit of muscle foreshortening because what's happening is the active range of that muscle has shortened, which is why it's pushing tension into the forearm. Mm. So that that would be my start, and that was my start from about 21, 22 inches up to 26 and a half. Okay. So I'm, I've never been one for changing workouts frequently. I don't don't bother with that. I tend to keep to the same thing. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't change the intensity of the workout or the style of the workout, but that's all done through rep tempo and rep style. So I'd start there, like I said, 12, 15, light rep. Then I'd probably go up. Now, my jumps were very governed by my top set. So if I've got six sets on there, my top set is a 95-pound dumbbell. Ooh. And my my first set is a 15-pound dumbbell. Then I've got 80 pounds. I've got six sets. So I'm going up 20-pound of jumps. Six sets like that on the preacher so curl. So I'm going you, up with 20. So my first set will be 15 pounds. My second set will be 35. My next set would be 55, then 75, then 95. I can't believe you were preacher curling 90-pound dumbbells. I mean, you had – what did your arm get up to, 26? 26 and a half. That was the heaviest. So, um, um, yeah, I'd say that was probably fairly common. 85 would be a death to every workout. I wouldn't maybe go 95 every, but on a, on a good day, it would be 95. I'd only get in maybe three, four reps with that, oh. but they're three, four reps that are very controlled. Okay. So my second set, 35 pounders. We're looking probably eight reps. Very strict, very controlled, full stretch, full pull through at the top. By this time already, I'm only two sets in, but my bicep's already very, very warm. Yeah. Um, then I go six reps, six reps, six reps. My heaviest set, if I got six reps, the weight would go up and I would go again. Um, it would generally, with a 95, be three, three, usually four reps, maybe a touch assist on a fifth or three reps, touch assist on a fourth. They would be minimal, but again, full extension, control, full pull through, and back down again. So that's what you're seeing in a rep form and style. Yeah. I would then drop the weight back. Um, It could be quite significant depending on how the heavy rep feels. So there was a bit of intuition at this point. It would at least be a a 35 40% drop. So say I topped out in 95s, I'd probably drop back to 60s. Um, and then I would just rep to fail. So it'd be an M- M- MRAP style um, set. Yeah. 
and I'd, I'd do one arm, then the other arm immediately afterwards, and then take a 30-second rest before I went back in to do the next arm on the next set. So that would be the first movement. Okay. Six sets uh, about all together. Yeah. And then I'd move to, say, a preacher. I couldn't do straight arm, didn't have the rotation in my wrist because I broke both of them. So <laughs> I'd do a preach curl. Uh, wouldn't start particularly Wait, heavy. I thought you started with the preacher curl. Or were you doing sorry, the... no, I, I, sorry, I mean, I'd go to a cambered bar curl. Sorry. Oh, Standard okay. cambered bar curl. Gotcha. I would put, I'd put my, I initially, I'd put my back against the wall, but after a while, I, my discipline was enough that I didn't need to do that. Yeah. So I, I would stand. I would make sure my elbow is tucked into my side and it is in front of my midline. Yeah. So if I drew a line down the center of my body or from the side, the back of my elbow is touching that line. Yeah. Again, very disciplined, no elbow flex, get to the top, keep pulling in, keep pulling in, but the elbows aren't moving. Uh, I'd also use my fingertips, so I would grip very hard with the little finger coming up, and then as I started to fatigue, I'd start gripping with the little finger and the first finger, which would change the head engagement in the rep. Yeah. Um, I'd probably aim for around the 10, 12 rep mark, but it would be quite sort of how it feels. Um, I would probably start with something like just as low as, say, 10 kilo as a side, so 22 half a plate a side. Um, do 10, 12 reps, see how it feels. If it felt okay, I'd go up a little bit. If it didn't, I might just stay at that weight and just do three, four sets to failure, but with that sort of number of reps. Okay. And by that point, my buys were trashed. Absolutely oh, I bet, trashed. dude. Nothing hey, you ever use them. one of those? It's like um, that old school. Um, the Arnold frame? That, yeah, the thing that you put your arm, you, yeah. it's like a harness. My uh, client of mine, Hamza, gave me one as a gift. It's it's crazy. It's got like an American flag painted on it and stuff. I'll I'll break that thing out once in a while. I can't go heavy with that, you know? But So that's the style I do my curls, but that's, without the frame being there. That's what I thought you were getting at, yeah. yeah. And then the, the, the thing with that is then if I want to do it, because I used to train a lot on my own, if I wanted to do a cheat rep, yeah, I've got the flexibility to do it, but I'm disciplined to the point of failure, and then I can get a little bit of lean, or I can let a bit of little elbow travel to in order to grind out the last few partials and stuff like that. Yeah. and I mean, I would I would sit there at a rep point and be midpoint, and I would just stay there for for ten, ten, twelve, fifteen seconds, still trying to pull through. Oh God, making every part of the bicep fire before I'd call that rep done. And it, so there was that push point uh, at the end of every failure set. Yeah. Um, then I'd go on the triceps, and, and triceps were predominantly, to a larger extent, standing straight bar pushdowns. Straight bar pushdowns. So you're doing a cable, like a like you're doing mm -hmm. like a, a press-down type movement. Elbows out or elbows in close? Elbows tight in, again, just in front of the center line, as it's been for everything else. Yeah. As high as I can get with the hand. Yeah. The difference is I would be quite close to the machine. So the bar is literally skimming the machine on the way down. Yeah. So I can't put any lean into it with body weight and I keep my body weight on my heels. Mm. So there's no getting over the top to move more. It's all on the try. And the other thing I'd do a, a lot of would be reverse gip um, on the Smith's machine bench press. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I'd go up to four, four and a half plates aside for reverse grip on the Smith. You don't, you don't see many people doing reverse grip bench, you know. Bit, bit of a, bit of a wrist wrecker. Um, yeah. you, you've got to, you've got to sort of set yourself. I'd go wide grip. Yeah. Um, and and just reverse grip. Um, and I'd go pretty heavy on that. But I'd go pretty heavy on my triceps as pushdowns as well. And the only difference with that is, whereas in biceps I'd have a second exercise that was more of a fluff and fill. Yeah. Um, the second exercise in tries would be structured like the first one, so it'd be that progressive load, mm. big failure set, and then a pullback set at the end of that. Okay. Um, so, so for me, a lot of it was the rep style, the rep tempo, the rep technique, rather than anything particularly in rep structures and numbers. Yeah. And then you would repeat that again later in the week. This is happening twice yeah. a week. And just to, so, to make sure to sum up what you've told me, you're starting out with preacher curls, then you're going to a cambered bar curl with strict control. Excuse me, yep, preacher curl with dumbbells. Uh, mm -hmm. Six sets of that, then a cambered bar curl with strict control. Then you're going to a cable press down with elbows in really tight, followed by a uh, reverse grip bench press. Now, how many sets are you getting on the cambered curl, the press down, and the reverse grip? So the cabin curl would probably be about four sets. Okay. The the first exercise of triceps will probably be about seven because there's going to be I have a little bit more warm up only because my total weight's higher. Yeah. My triceps okay. stronger, so I, there's a limit to how big a jumps I can do. Yeah. Um, I might do the reverse first. I might do the cable first. But the cable would be pretty much in every tricep workout, whereas sometimes the reverse I'd drop and I'd do a reverse extension or I'd do a, a rope hammer. So that would be a bit of variety, just depending on how I felt. I might pre-exhaust with a rope hammer, but then I'd go to the straight bar. I might start yeah. with a straight bar, then I'd go to reverse grip bar. So basically um, 10 sets for buys, 10 sets for tries, twice a week. No, usually 12 to 14 for tries. Oh. Oh, you did more. Okay. So there'll gotcha. be like a seven. There'll be a seven set on the first exercise, and then a six or a seven set on the second exercise. So that's sort of where I was. Okay. Um, so the first and second exercise in triceps would follow the same format, where the bicep, the second exercise is just four sets of higher reps. Well, guys, rep, I encourage everybody to do this. I want to see everybody do this workout, and then tell us what uh -huh. you think. A lot of it is the form. It, yeah. It's very form-based, and unfortunately, what you'll find if you're not used to training that way is the first time you do it, you'll probably struggle with failure points because your bicep's just not used to working that way. Yeah. But once you've got three or four weeks under it, you'll find that you can actually really grind, and yeah. you can really – I mean, you know, some of those preacher reps – locked in no cheating whatsoever it, they would they would be a 10 12 second positive on that final rep because it just that was what it was it was just a grinder to get out yeah um it wasn't deliberately slow it was just that's how it was moving with everything i had um but you you will learn to put the extreme effort into a control rep but it does take time to get there I mean, if you want a, a quick exercise thing for something different for legs, start with leg extension and do 12 reps, five-second stretch in the machine, then 10 reps, five-second stretch in the machine, then eight reps. That's one set. Do five of them ascending weight. Yeah. Well, hey, we, let's, we, could do, if we could see how this goes. If people enjoy this, if they enjoy this segment, then it's something that we could throw in from time to time. Maybe do mm -hmm. you know a leg day, maybe do a chest day, a back day. 
And 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 I think it's kind of fun too because it's interactive. Like I said, anybody could take this and and take it home and do it. We got a few questions in the live stream. We got a bunch of comments. Um, Kevin, before we started, we were talking about how we're having issues with uh, the powers that be. Uh, Kevin said, "Screw YouTube, go to Rumble." We do have a Rumble set up now, and it is mirroring. So if you guys want to see any of our content over at Rumble, you can check it out there too. And of course, audio podcast, we have no issues with that. So the audio podcast people, you guys are just cruising along, listening to stuff as you always have. And uh, we appreciate having you there. Uh, Jake threw up this comment. He said, Dave, you'd suit a flannel shirt. I actually have had, had one at one point. You had one at one point? It was a it was a big thermal one. I think anyone in the UK knows the type. I mean, they do a, um, they do that style shirt, but it's like a thick padded thermal thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like an overshirt. So I've had one of them at one point, yeah. It was like quilted on the inside, kind of? Yeah, that's the sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we do have a bunch of other questions in the stream, plus we've got questions um, from last week. Now... In order to try and be careful here, I'm going to not actually post the question because I think sometimes when they see like 500 of this, 250 of that, uh, they start getting, well, I think that might be affecting us. So I'm just going to read this. Do Just one question before we start this. Do we yeah. actually have enough questions that we can do an episode with no of those types of questions? Being very careful uh, not to use words. Dave, the show is called... I know that's supplements and stuff. So for we got a lot of that. So do we have enough to no. get away with one? Right. Okay. No. Well, that, no. <laughs> that, that, I mean, I could pull so up. Funny. I could pull up a lot of them. Like somebody asked how much lab work costs, and I assume they mean through eval. Like we could a- answer questions like that all day, but I don't think people are going to want to tune into that. But you do. Ha- I sent him the link. I just posted him the link to evalbloodanalysis.com. Mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, you can check out all the options over there. You guys have that listed in the costs and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. All right. So that's, that's the, the one question I wish. We're actually uh, working on some AI, so the website, because the one question that you get, and I understand you get it, but the one question that I get all the time is, how much does a blood test cost? And it's like, well, what do you want to test? So yeah, yeah. there's with the, the, advent of like chat gp and stuff ai systems now can actually deal with a lot of this for you so we're, we're having that integrated it's being built at the moment oh no kidding hmm. all right how about this one so we're gonna i'm gonna dance around this a little bit he says uh hey guys more of a general question for you i've been doing everything i can to learn as much about supplements mm-hmm um, and certain compounds as I can, and I am preparing to eventually begin my first supplement cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, my family is still under the influence from a lot of the negative bodybuilding stereotypes that people typically hear growing up. What are some of the best studies or documents that I can show them to begin to alleviate some of their concerns relating to bodybuilding and supplement use. This is a difficult one because it is. 
there is actually a lot of what the stereotypes within supplement use are are actually grounded in some very strong <laughs> medical evidence. Yeah, and anecdotal uh, evidence too, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so there, there is there is, there is an, a risk element to over-supplementation, that is, without saying. There are, th I think, two or three particular studies around the use of, of supplements at specific levels, particularly those levels akin to early supplement use okay that that show very little impact on internal health at what would be a typical initial usage of those supplements yeah uh um, you're doing really and, good so far dave we're i think so far uh, we're batting 100 here um so you could use those studies that would show that uh, the typical initial supplement usage level had no negative impacts on stuff like liver and kidneys and that sort of thing. Yeah. But the more you delve into the science stuff, the more you will see studies that actually show what your family concerns are. Yeah. Um, so it is a bit of a difficult one because it is very individual. It is very amount of and how long for. Yeah. that stipulates a lot of these problems. And a lot of the studies that show the negatives aren't particularly based on structured supplement use. They're more on long-term overall indications post-supplement use. So, um, yeah, the, there's, there's definitely, I think it's three, that look at an initial use. Well, it's one but three segments that look at initial use of three different doses of the traditional first use supplement. Hmm. So, if you is that something? Do you think you could dig that up? If you would know it offhand, if you were able to find it. If it's a pain and you don't know where it's at, then don't worry about it. But if you do find it, I'll post it in a comment when the show goes live. Nah. Maybe, maybe we'll have it. Let's just say that then. Yeah, it, it, I don't think it should be too hard to find. Um, there were there were a few done at, at I think it was three and five. Yeah, and and one and a half or something along those natures. So yeah, it shouldn't be too difficult to find. Um, you would ask me on the week where I've got absolutely tons to get through. Well, don't worry about it. Like I said, don't and you know, and you don't have to do. No, it right, I think right I think there are, the I've, I've actually got. Um, there is a book. Um, it's probably a bit advanced for what he wants. You don't have to um, do it on the show. You don't have to do no, it. No, no, but this is like we're live. We're, this is like we're. Oh. If you're looking for supportive text, this yeah. is probably a good one. Yeah, third edition. Yeah. Yeah, so action deficiency and substitution, uh, third edition testosterone, and it, it goes through a lot of the therapeutic uses and slightly higher therapeutic uses. But it's it shows this is the one that this will have studies in it. I've used this in court. This has studies in it showing no aggression factors with testosterone use and stuff like that. Okay. Hey, the other reason I'm trying to be really careful on this one, I want to make sure, like I'm paying close attention because this is kind of a test too. We're testing to see, like, do they just blanketly tell us no 
this is no good. We don't support this. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. this should be so far. We're doing really good. We're doing really good here. And so it's a test to see, like, are they really just against us? Or is there is there something that we're doing on a normal basis that just gets picked up? Um, so I, I thought this one was interesting. Um, then Dave, gave, when Dave gave, gives his expert opinion in the courts, um, if he knows the person um, that he would be def- helping defend, um, is there a conflict of interest? Um, I'm assuming there's a conflict of interest if you know him in the States. Um, and I'm curious, how would you go about dealing with that? And has this ever come up? So very often I will get approached by people I know to do their cases. Um, as long as I am transparent and I make the court aware that I know the individual privately, um, mm. then there, it's down for the court to decide whether they feel that is the conflict. My argument is that I have no... Where that becomes a concern is very much from a point of view of like a jury. So when you're making a decision as to whether somebody is wrong or right in what they've done, then there is a conflict of interest if you know that person because your personal friendship could sway your decision in, I'm going to give me mate a break. What I do isn't really an opinion based on, I have no input on whether they've done what they should have done or they haven't done what they should have done. I'm more on input on, what does that mean or what is that worth? Okay. So that's a bit more factually based in that I have to evidence what I say anyway. Yeah. So as part of that, the conflict of interest really doesn't come into it because, I mean, I've done cases for people that I know. I've done cases for famous bodybuilders that I know. Um, And, yes, I declare that I know that individual, but at the same time, I'm not giving any opinion on whether they've done wrong or right. I'm just telling the court that this is what that is. Yeah. So, so, you know, why have they got this? Oh, well, that's used for X, Y, Z. And why have they got this? Well, that's used for that. That's quite common. That's quite typical. That's not unusual. Yeah. Um, so it's that sort of stuff rather than, oh, yes, they've broken the law or not. That isn't really what I decide. That's up to the court to decide, be it a judge or be it a jury. Okay. Um, so I don't have that sort of sway. I'm more an interpretation of what the information means because you wouldn't expect someone who, I mean, well, most judges are older. So let's say most are 50 years plus, which wouldn't be an understatement most of them will have had no experience of the supplements we're discussing. So they won't know what, you know, a typical one is someone's being caught with a hundred of an oral supplement. Uh, And to the uninitiated, oh, that's a lot. Well, no, it's not. You know, that, 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 that effectively could be, 10 day supply or even less depending on the level of usage and so that's the sort of information i'm interpreting for them so they can get context of what's going on not whether the person has done right or wrong yeah all right how about this one from vasco um and i can't put it up here he says um uh, everyone says uh run a maintenance phase following a bulk considering that supplements provide signaling for muscle maintenance continuing on for quite a while 
after the cycle due to half-life in combination with training stimulus and sufficient intake, um, why would you be at risk of losing muscle or go, uh, by going straight into a cut? So from a point of view, there's two things. Um, irrespective of supplement support, it takes time for your body to accept any increased muscle mass. Uh, initially, your body will give that muscle mass up very, very quickly. So you've got to remember your body isn't designed or doesn't work on creating a bigger, stronger physique. Actually, from a point of view of survival, that's not a good thing because yeah. it requires more food. Um, so your body is interested in preserving essentials, and anything beyond that will be seen as an excess and unnecessary. When you first gain new muscle tissue, it takes a while for the body to accept that as being the norm. Um, for most people, their supplement use would mean that their active effects from their supplements is only going to be two, three weeks post the time of when they finish using those supplements. Mm -hmm. Not many are going to be beyond that. Yeah, so once your levels once your levels mm -hmm. go down, like you could start losing fairly quick. Yeah, without, so you know. don't don't get mixed up with the detection time or the circulation of metabolites. Yeah, as still having an active process in supporting uh, muscle mass, you were only really looking at the point of time where plasma levels are elevated, and for most that's going to be two three weeks. Yeah, um, so. You don't want to go cut straight away post-cycle because, one, the body will sacrifice that muscle tissue very, very quickly as soon as it realizes its calories are gone Yeah, um, because it's not established. Um, and the body doesn't want to get rid of fat reserves because they're your safety net. They're what keep you alive in, in times of famine. Yeah, But a four to six weeks maintenance period should be more than enough for a body to start to say, right, okay, this is mine now. I've got this. And then it will be much less likely to sacrifice tissue in a diet phase and more likely to, to release fat. The other thing as well is that a lot of people get, if people don't have training a diet on point and they've relied on the supplementation to, to yep. generate their muscular gain, they are going to be very susceptible to loss post-use of supplement because it's, I always use the fat loss argument that, you know, if you don't change your diet and use fat loss supplements to drop weight, as soon as you stop the fat loss supplements, you revert back to what you were before. So as a result, your body mass will revert back to what it was before, i.e. you'll put that weight back on. Yeah. And that's the same, the opposite with growing. If, if the supplements have created the scenario, when you remove those, the scenario goes, you don't maintain. So... I, I would definitely, I, and I generally do this with, with most clients, it's definitely at least a four, ideally a six-week holding sort of period before we start to Could do a little bit of a, a tighten up with calories if they've got particularly soft in their push. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to be getting to a point where we're challenging the body at all because it will give up that tissue relatively quickly initially. Once it's accepted, they used to call it set points and stuff like that. I'm not keen on that terminology, but once your body has accepted that, the, it's the same with a diet. You know, when you come off a diet, if you suddenly go back to eating high food again, you will rebound back to where you were very, very, very quickly. You need a, a period of time of maintenance for your body to go, okay this is where we sit now, this is normal, and yeah. then it's quite resistance to gaining fat in the same way as it's quite resistance to gaining muscle. Yeah. 
Um, one thing I'll add to that too is uh, maybe like how how far up are you? How much did you gain? You know, are you a guy that was naturally sitting at 125 pounds and now you're 230? You know, yeah. are you a guy who is 170 and now you're 190? Because I think that if in that case, like if if you aren't that far up above your genetic potential, you could even continue to grow off, you know, mm. like, so there's, there's that, that one thought I, I'm thinking of a guy that I work with that he had just finished, uh, I believe a contest prep. We started working together a good year plus ago. And, um, I think he was around 200 pounds. We pushed up to like 230 and then we tidied up a little bit, as you would call it, Dave. We did like a little bit of a tidy up and then we pushed back up. And eventually now we've pushed back up to like 250. And at that point, now that he's like 250 and he still has like the outline of his abs and stuff, he's in decent shape still, you know, lines in his legs and everything. He's at a point now where I definitely didn't want it. Now our next phase is to cut with supplementation in because I, I don't think he's going to be able to push up a lot higher at this time without having done a nice reset first, like getting into good shape again, because it's been a long time since he was in shape. In 250, he's way above what he had ever been before. I don't. Huh. It, it, and in the past, we try to tighten him up and then grow again. And, and in that tightening up process, you could just see that as he was tightening up, he was shrinking down at the same time. So it was just a point where it's like, man, now you're 250. We need to we need the support, you know, in order mm -hmm. to, to, to get a good cut in here. I mean, the other thing as well is how far you're going with your cut. You know, if you're going oh, yeah. a 10 pound tidy, then yeah. yeah, you'd probably be fine. But if you're going right, I want abs fully out and you know, I'm going for intercostal, so as to that. Then the 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 benefit of having supplementation in there is going to be much greater. Yeah. All right. How about this one? Um, Alfonso says, great show, guys. How much do you believe that supplements affect composition despite diet? It appears that high-carb, uh, high-protein, low-fat diets are preferred over lower-carb, high protein and healthy fats. Older school bodybuilders didn't eat as many carbs. I agree that keto isn't going to work for bodybuilding, but I don't see the advantage of low or uh, little fat and high carbs. Ultimately, calories are number one, but I think that people are more likely to overeat carbs. Uh, it also makes dieting down easier. I'm a bit confused on the question. Um, my argument is that you have two choices of energy source, carbohydrates or fats. You're not going to flip between the two. You need an element of fats for digestion. You need an element of fats for hormone support and enzyme production. But there is a ceiling limit to how much you need. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, that fat is just going to stay as fat. So... For most people, carbs is their energy source. And so, therefore, if you're pushing for more size, then carbs becomes the main component that you're going to increase because your protein increase doesn't need to be that great um, in return to the muscle you're going to grow from it. Yeah. Um, so, for most people, carbs are going to increase at a greater rate than protein uh, as they start to try and gain size and, and push muscle. And a lot of us actually do burn quite a few proteins for energy in, intermittently throughout the day. And you can really look at this with urea results on blood work. 
the more you're burning proteins for energy, the higher your urea is going to be. Oh. Um, so because urea is an ash from, from protein consumption for a point of view of energy use. So, you know, seven, seven, eight in urea is about where you probably want to be to make sure you've got bases covered. Uh, but when you start getting nine, ten, and above, then that would say that you are very biased towards using proteins for energy, and you need to increase your carb rate. Um, fats, healthy fats. Um, if you're looking for a lifestyle sort of setup where you're not loading to push extreme size, then yeah, it's perfectly viable uh, to be in there as a, as a diet approach. But if you're looking for performance, maximum performance in the gym. I would always be carb biased. That, that's my personal approach. And I've, I've also found that people that run medium low fat to high carb to medium protein, medium high protein, tend to be able to push higher calories with less fat storage than yeah. they do if they go the opposite way. Um, I'm a big one for keeping the metabolism, metabolism as high as I can, even mm -hmm. in an off-season push, because it allows me to push more nutrient in and therefore have more building raw materials for growth without having a consequential fat gain that you get from being a calorie excess. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you that most of the, really anybody I can think of offhand that I know who put on a lot of muscle had relied on a lot of carbohydrates to do it. Mm -hmm. And just, just thinking about it offhand. And I can tell you in my own life that in order to push food higher, I had to reduce the fats because the fats for me are very satiating. And, mm -hmm. I, and and they do slow digestion down. And a lot mm -hmm. of times I want that food to process quickly. It's interesting. I started, you know, I told you I started dieting recently. I hadn't eaten lean fish, clean, like light fish in a while. And now, man, I'll eat eight ounces of fish and I'm just starving like an hour later. Mm -hmm. So if I eat like fish and a cup of rice, man, I'm just like so hungry. I'm ready to eat again and eat again. And I'm not going to gain any fat from doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've even used it in for myself i've got when it gets fired up my appetite is insane it's ridiculous i'm there right now i'm hungry as we speak <laughs> yeah and and i'm i'm back to sort of tidying up and back to doing a bit of cardio now the leg's gone and oh you I'm, are good yeah i'm mobile and enough to start doing stuff again but i i've noticed myself if i just have um, a carb veg and protein source with my meals and i don't actually have any added fats my hunger is through the roof yeah. But if I throw in some fats, it is satiating. My hunger does go. My appetite does lower. But also fats are much denser calorie-wise. Yeah. So the other thing is you can eat 200 grams of carbs to 100 grams of fats for calories. Yeah. So there's the other problem as well. You cannot get anywhere near the same amount of food in with fats being as calorie as they are. But you're not carrying the nutrient you're going to want from that either. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's not a huge amount of nutritional value in fat beyond what it's used for as a raw material. And, and I would say with respect to, like the, he mentioned, the old school guys, I think, um, they, what do you say that, did he say something about, yeah, the older school bodybuilders didn't eat as many carbs. I honestly think that over time that we've gotten more educated, you know, we've learned and so what the guys do nowadays is they figured out how to put more muscle on their trainings better their you know diets are better and supplementation 
is better. To, well, you know what I mean? It's just like we just improved over time. Guys are a lot bigger than they used to be back yeah, then. Yeah, I say that you know? that's the big thing. I mean, the old school guys were 220 and a big guy, whereas we've got amateurs now walking on stage at 280. Yeah, yeah. And that's you not know, uncommon at the, all. <laughs> no, the whole the whole game's moved up. Whether, you know, it's personal opinion as to whether you like the, the bigger look. But yeah. the, the bottom line is the average weight of a bodybuilder has increased massively. Yeah. All right, let's see what else we've got here. Um, let's see if we can answer this one. Hey, what's up, guys? I have a lot of people who reach out to me on a regular basis who are trying to more effectively reach their goals. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they're not getting enough protein. And there's only so much chicken breast we can eat through the day, but we can easily add a high-quality protein supplement to boost those numbers up. True Nutrition has just about every protein powder you can think of from high-quality weight isolate. If you don't tolerate lactose, then you could use their beef isolate, or you could use their protein isolate if you don't eat animal products they literally have everything you'd think of i've believed in them for like a decade before they advertised with us and they they never went out of their way to say like hey we want to promote our stuff through you i literally asked them because it's a company that i believe in and at the end of the day i want to see you guys reach your goals as effectively as possible so if you use our code think at true nutrition you'll get some savings you'll help to support our programming and you'll get some high quality products to more effectively reach your goals faster <laughs> we, we did have somebody dave who agreed with you he said yeah scott the plaid shirt has to go it's awful i will burn it uh for you live lol so we did have some he i'm guessing that he's british too dave but i yeah. think we ought to have a i think we ought to have a vote a vote on the, the yeah, plaid so shirts yes and if it's agreed that it has to go by the majority, then you have to publicly destroy it on the show. Uh, no, it's not going to happen. No, because no! it's a good shirt, man. It's a good shirt. I would still be curious to know if you guys want to vote on whether uh, plaid shirts are yay or nay. Let us know. Uh, maybe we can fit, fit some sort of poll in here or something, but I don't know. It's just, I guess to each their well, there, own. There has to be some sort of punishment if the public vote that it's a no. You know that uh, that uh, Flagner Fail DLB's company that they sell plaid shirts now. They sell flannel shirts. Like flannel shirts are popular now, Dave. It's it's a thing. James Hollingshead wears a flannel shirt. Yeah, he wears Crocs as well. So that does, does he? The argument, I, I believe so. Yeah, I'm sure he had them on last time I went down the house. Oh, you know what? Somebody else made a comment that we didn't even mention. We were talking about blends last week. Um, somebody said, in all seriousness, avoid blends because of the harsh chemicals used to uh, suspend the compounds. There's that, too. There's a lot mm -hmm. more, you know, intense salt. Yeah, I mean, there. There, is, there is when you've got high dosing, you, you obviously have a much more potent mix across the board. Yeah. Man, we're still doing good here. Let's see if we can cover this one. I haven't even read it yet, but uh, he's from Iceland. So we're going we're gonna to try. We're going to see, guys. We're going out on a limb here. Question for Dave. I'm doing my second show here in Iceland in early April. Um, I really want to go abroad and do a show following the show here. I would probably do a 40-plus category. I would like the uh, experience of a bigger stage and some more show uh, uh, fuss about it than the local shows have here. We're doing good so far. Um, having an expo there would also be a great experience. What would Dave recommend for UK late April, May of next year? Thanks, guys. 
I think next I think next year if you're wanting an expo event, the main two around that time of year would be Fitex Manchester. Okay. Uh no, sorry, hang on. No, it wouldn't it would be Arnold's. Oh. Or Fitex Birmingham, which would be the one that's gonna be at uh, the NEC. I believe that's May. UK viewers will know whatever the old body power dates were, that's what the Fitex dates are. I think it's early May. It's like twelfth, thirteenth of May or something like that. Okay. So that would probably be I'm not sure what the comp setup is for the Arnolds. I don't know who's doing it. Um it's usually two bros. Um they may be an invitational, so they might not be an amateur. Mm. But the Fitex one is 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 an amateur and open show, and I believe there's a NABA show as well. But I think that's the universe. I'll tell you what, man. Um, the experience I had at FedEx was pretty cool. There was actually a lot of people that turned out for that too. Like it was a mm. it was a pretty big event. That show like went well into the night. There were so many categories and classes and people competing. Yeah, the, the Birmingham one would probably be a good bet. And with it being at the NEC, I suspect it will be a bigger event as well all over because it will attract more. Will there so be an expo might... with that? Yeah, yeah, the Birmingham is. Okay. So what they've done next year is they're doing two. They're doing the big one at Birmingham, which is the biggest of the two, and then they're doing a smaller one at the back end of the year in Manchester. Okay. All right, let's try this one. This is going to be a little questionable, Dave. I'd like to ask Dave and yourself a question in regarding to lab tests of UGLs um, mm -hmm. who all seem to use a certain lab testing, which is easily found across the main large forums. And many sources use this lab testing and show mm -hmm. the lab reports on their sites. My mm -hmm. question is, do we take this with a grain of salt? The lab tests also uh, accepts testing from regular people who can send it in for a fee. What is your take on this? If it's the one I'm thinking of, which start with is, a J? Yes. Probably. It does start with it. Right. So if it's that one, I believe that the testing facility is legit. My understanding is that it is legit. Um, I'm not so sure that it's a dedicated testing facility or that it's somebody doing testing extra curriculum. Mm. Um, there was one previously that was actually, a, I think they were a PhD student that was doing it in a university lab in their spare time. Oh, really? Yes. They got caught, I believe, oh. and got told off. Um, you think they lost their position I'm at not, the school? I'm not sure if, if it's... It's a lot of rumors, but I believe that was the situation, whether they got actually caught and kicked off the course or they just got their collar felt a little bit and decided it was too risky and stopped. I don't know, but I believe there was one that felt. did that. It must be a British, a British saying. There felt. was another one some time ago that I understand was very legit, and they shut down, but they shut down because they were moving labs and they were, so they were, they were contracting an outside lab. Um, okay. to do it so it was a proper registered lab that was doing the work they were acting as like an a, a basically an agent really a go-between and they were moving labs and then they never reopened so i don't know what happened there um is so i believe that in the most part yes the testing is legit 
Is the individual open to corruption? I don't know. Possibly. I've heard rumours that said such. I don't know if it's true. My understanding is that the UGLs and individuals use the service in exactly the same way. So there's no difference if you're UGL or not. You pay the individual, you send the sample, he does the test, he gives you the results, and what you do with it is down to you. Yeah. Um, and you've I heard know, rumors about yourself. So it's like, it's you know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard yeah, to say. Exactly. I'm sure that and, he's he's open for that. Like, people are going to take jabs at him if he's doing this kind of work. Well, you know? at the end of the day, you're doing something that can damage somebody's fine financially. Yeah. Um, and obviously the people that don't use or don't produce supplements correctly because they're deliberately trying to make more money yeah. are going to try and undermine the credibility of such <laughs> a service yeah. because it's financially in their benefit to do so. Yeah, I know some professional bodybuilders that use that service and they seem very happy with it. I've never used it myself. Um, it's a service that I've even looked at providing, um, and I'm halfway there. You're halfway there now? I know you'd been working on that. I, w I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah. so we can provide – at the moment, we we can test for presence. Oh, okay. And, and that's that's been – we've taken a guy from – what used to be ICI, I don't know what they're called now in the UK, uh, but he's a he's a lab engineer and he's developed a, a procedure and everything for us. Um, and, and we know we're getting consistent and correct results with testing for what it is. What do you what, need, like a mass spectrometer or something like so that? We, we have an LCMS mass spec, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, the next thing is to then test for purity, for strength. Yeah. Um, so we're confident now that we're robust and we're foolproof on the testing for what it is. So the next thing is now to get to the same position with testing for strength, and then we will launch. But we've also in the process of potentially securing a contract with the Dutch government. Oh, wow. For a harm reduction service over there that currently does it for recreational um, oh. and they wanted to they wanted to extend it into supplementation. So that that would that would be a legit, you know, the stuff yeah. getting imported legitimately, all licenses and everything else, um, um, which would be nice because it would almost, it would help legitimize the service. And then we've been working with Manchester University and, and Liverpool University as well. So that's going to help legitimize the service as well. But there's no, I mean, I've been working on this probably 12 months now. Okay. And there's no way this thing's good because of the Zats question that you've just been asked. There is no way this is going live until I know it is a hundred percent working properly. Oh yeah, because you because you could harm somebody otherwise. Well, you the, could harm. There's, there's that element, but and, yeah, the other element is you know it can't go wrong. It's got to yeah. be right, and I've got to be able to stand behind it. Yeah, um, and which is why it's taking so long, and um, why we spent so much money on bringing genuine machine experts in. Yeah, to get this right, um, this guy works in the R and D development for one of the biggest chemical producing companies in the UK. Yeah, so he, he's he's not like some you know PhD students doing as a sideline. This is a legit expert at what he does. Yeah, um, and so yeah, it's it, it's as far as I'm aware, 
the service is legit. I what I can't say is whether every result that's produced is legit. But if you sent a sample and asked it to be tested, would you get legit service? Yes, I think you would. There you go. All right. Well, hey, last thing, Dave. Um, first of all, actually, two more things. One thing, um, who popped you in the eye? We only had this conversation. We we had oh, it off the air, though. Yeah, oh, right. yeah. No. <laughs> so most of you will remember the broken leg scenario, and that actually started because I had a problem with my contact lens, mm. and I had gone to see if it got lost at the back of my eye and ended up being outside a chemist and blah, 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 everything else is history. Did they ever find those guys, or no? They're just I've, long gone. No, I have no idea. And you like, never got a call from Boots thanking you no, for your service. No, Nothing. Yeah. Anyway, so fast forward, obviously, I hadn't been back to the opticians because of the mobility side of things. Um, and even if I had, I couldn't kneel down to sit where I need to sit to do it because I do it off the edge of the bed. So long story short, got a new set of contacts last week, put them in. Now, I always struggle to get them out of my right eye. For some reason, I have problems with that eye. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> had them in for about two, three days, yeah, getting them out was a bit of a challenge, but it wasn't too bad. A couple, in fact, a couple of nights it went really well. And then the last night, could I get the one out of my right eye? Could I hell as like? So I ended up pinning my eye opening, going in with my big fat fingers, Ooh. proper jamming them in, and then squeezing across the eyeball so I could pick the contact lens up. It came out, yeah. but the result was a burst blood vessel. I put it in the tray, sealed it off, and that was the end of it because it's like I can't put them back in anyway till this clears up. So yeah, yeah. I'm back to my glasses. But then I, I had a little bit of a gritty sensation in my eye, like a, a bit of – it was just like I got something in it. that It wasn't irritating, irritating. It was just there in the background. And then yesterday – I don't know if you'll be able to see it, actually. It fell out. What fell out? I don't know if you can see that. But that is half a contact lens. It's like a piece of glass. Yeah, oh. it's like a piece of plastic, yeah. So that fell out of my eye yesterday, and subsequently the gritting feeling left. This so, is like if we tried to put contact lenses into some sort of farm animal, or we like strapped down a wild animal and put contacts in it. This is about what the equivalent is here, trying to put contacts in you, Dave. I don't know if this is going to work for you. I think we're just going to have to let you be blind. It's just that eye. My left eye is fine. Pop in, pop out, no problem. Fat one. I, I don't know why I just struggle with it. I can't seem to. I mean, I have got incredibly fat fingers, but um, yeah. So I'm I'm now half a contact missing in in for one eye, which so I can't use that at all. I have to wait now two weeks before the new supply will come. Instead of boots, you should go to Spec Savers, Dave. That's what Lucas says. I am good at Spec Savers. That's where I get my contacts from. Oh, we thought you were going to boots. No, so I went to Boots that day because Specsavers had a power cut and couldn't see me, so they sent oh, me down to Boots. Oh, I see, I see. Mm. Um, yeah, you know what I found helps is if you have it. Usually, that happens to me. I don't really wear contacts a ton, but it happens to me when my eyes. If usually, if I leave them in for a long time, and then my eyes get dry. And if you take the liquid that you put in the thing, you just put that liquid in your eye and then massage the eyelid for a while, it'll loosen it up and then you can get it out if it sticks. Just to throw that out there at you. I have, so, right, that that's actually really useful because I've gone to me right and I've literally grabbed it and then I've heard it go and suck back onto the eyeball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. try try lubricating it with some more of the. I, maybe I shouldn't have said that word. Who knows? <laughs> with uh, with some more contact solution. See, and then last okay. but not least, Dave, do you got any uh, any advice for us for the day? Any uh, Uncle Dave's wisdom? You know, I, I thought of a load the other day that were nice and short and sweet and, and me not rambling on for hours and end like <laughs> I usually do. And, and now they've gone. They have completely gone. you got to write um, these things down. you got to write them down. Get your phone out and mm. you make, make a list. Then you got them ahead of time. Then you're set to go. And then you don't have to make up stories about, I won't even, I won't even bring that back up. I'm not making up stories. No, well, not make up, you know, come up with stories that relate to okay, people yeah, I, I, this stuff. Th- this was something that was, was on my mind the other day. Enthusiasm will get you to start to do something. Uh, and when you start to do something, you'll be super enthusiastic about it. That enthusiasm will go. It's not impossible for it to stay permanently. It will eventually ebb. And that's when routine and discipline and structure will carry you through. The enthusiasm will come back at points, and then it will go again at points. But it's the routine and the discipline of just doing one, two, three every day that will keep you moving forward. You are not going to love your job. You are not going to love your sport 24-7. You will hate it. There are times when I want to burn Eval and everybody in it. Um, because and we're demonetized. There are, <laughs> so there, there are days when I get particularly frustrated with work. Yeah. And it, it's very difficult to stay, you know, enthusiastic. But it's that discipline of just keep going. As Dory says, just keep swimming. Um, and you do that. And those small steps do build into big steps. But it's routine that's going to push you through on the days where you don't want to do what you want to do because you've lost the love for it for that day or that week or even that month. Who says just keep swimming? Dory. Who's Dory? Finding Nemo. Oh, you don't watch films, do you? You just keep swimming. So no, I never heard that. Finding, no, in Finding Nemo, Dory is the, the fish that is has a bad memory and and when life gets bad she her devices you just keep swimming hmm. that's good hmm. i like that I that's actually, good i've i've actually picked little things up from films like that and i actually use them as little mantras because i remember them and they, they, they simple and childish though their delivery may be but they are very very true you know you just keep swimming you just keep going that's where dave learned all of his life advice from disney movies Fair bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, guys. That that four and a, four and a half years sat in a cell, looking at myself. Oh God! Well, listen. I think we made it. I think we did it today. I, it, it, there is literally. Listen, if they can sell these crazy legal muscle supplements that they they advertise that stuff on our channel when we can do ads like if they can sell that stuff and they have people teaching you like home brewing and things like that literally these are advertisements you're like click on the link and you'll learn how to make this stuff if they can do that they can advertise that stuff then they can monetize this episode and if they don't then you guys know and we know 
that they have something against us. For everybody who listens on the audio podcast, we appreciate you hanging and still getting through all this. And everybody on Patreon, thank you for your support. Because if it wasn't for you, this would basically, I would be homeless right now. That would be, actually, no, my, my coaching really is the majority of the money I make for life. But considering the amount of work I put in here, it really, it wouldn't be worth it. So I appreciate you guys at Patreon. I appreciate everybody who's watching the show. Go to evalbloodanalysis.com if you're in the UK. Get your lab work done by Dave. Dave, are you taking any clients right now or are you too busy? No, I'm I've, I'm actually quiet on the client front. Um, so, yes, please. More the merrier. I'm skint. I need, I need somebody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Reach out to Dave on social media. You can hit me up, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And, of course, check out TrueNutrition.com, our title sponsor for all of our content. They've been with us the longest. Uh, they believe in what we're doing. We believe in them. Use our code THINK over at TrueNutrition.com. SupplementSource.ca for our Canadian folks for great deals that change week to week. Strong sports nutrition for those of you in the UK, especially if you're taking supplements. You want to take these supplements to support your supplementation. Uh, and that's all I got, guys, for another episode of Drugs and Stuff with Dave Cross. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see.